Good morning, everyone. Hope you're well. My name's Sai. I'm one of the leaders here. It's great to be continuing our series of A Heart After God as we look at the life of King David. Today, I'm going to be looking at the beautiful friendship between Jonathan and David. In this time of lockdown, I don't know about you, but I'm acutely aware of missing my friends. So today, I think it would be a, it's good to take some time and to assess yourself. Are you being a true friend to your friends? Are you being the sort of friend that God wants you to be? And to start with, I thought it would be good to uh, ask a few people what friendship means to them. For me, friendship is a spectrum spanning a range of depths, boundaries and seasons. Some rows be short, but then some that can last for decades at the end of life. Uh, what does friendship mean or look like to me? I guess it means many things, but I think probably one of the most important is honesty. Amy, what does friendship mean to you? Friendship means to me sharing, being kind and being helpful. It's like um, being with someone that you can trust and play with and talk to. Penny? Yeah? What does friendship mean? You love someone and then they love you back. What does friendship mean to you? Friendship to me is like someone that you can trust and rely on and they're there no matter what happens. <laughs> And they're kind to you. It means to me that I can trust somebody and and they're always there for me and they won't annoy me. And that's it. What does friendship mean to you? A bond of trust and knowing someone enough that you would like to spend your time with them. Yeah. And you enjoy spending company with them. When you find a true friend, it's like a little part of your soul goes, hello, there you are, I've been looking for you. Friendship is like when you can be stupid with people and um, friendship means that you can be, sh uh, you can have fun and friends are always there for you. Alright, see ya. Brilliant. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to go through what the Bible tells us about David and Jonathan's friendship and then I'm going to pull out some things that we can learn from their friendship for people who have uh, a desire to have a heart after God and then finally I'm going to see what this teaches us about our relationship, our friendship with Christ. So let's start by reading the story where Jonathan it would appear meets David for the first time. So let's turn, if you've got your Bibles with you, to 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 to 5. Ruby, do you want to read it for us? I am reading from the book of 1 Samuel, and this first section is from chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armour and even his sword and his bow and his belt. 
And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. After this, David's success causes Saul to get jealous and he tries to kill David. Jonathan, from a worldly point of view, has more reason to be jealous and feel threatened by David, but he is not. He loves David. Saul ends up getting so jealous he removes David from his presence and puts him in charge of some men and sends him out on dangerous battles. However, David is just so successful, it only causes Saul's jealousy to increase. Saul has another idea. He then decides he'll get David to marry his daughter and he sets a bride price so high and dangerous he actually hopes that David will die as he attempts to to meet this bride price. Talk about father-in-law from hell. Suddenly makes your father-in-law, my father-in-law, seem a lot better if you've you've got them. But David, as in everything, is successful and he ends up paying much more of a bride price than Saul even demanded. Saul then puts him in charge of more men, and he's just the most successful commander in Saul's army. So again, Saul just gets so jealous that he decides, no, I'm going to I'm gonna have to kill him. And then we see in 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 to 7, how Jonathan warns David that my father wants to kill you, uh, be careful, and then he goes and speaks to his father on David's behalf and, in, and uh, encourages his father to view David favorably, which Saul does for a season. But as David's success just increases, Saul's jealousy for him does too, and he tries to kill him again. So David has to, has to flee, and he runs to, uh, to the prophet Samuel, which Anna, I'm sure, will pick up on that story uh, later. But after he's with Samuel, he goes to Jonathan and says, no, what have I done? that's wrong. Why does your father want to, to kill me? And Jonathan's not, not aware of this plot at this time. So Jonathan says, oh, I'm not aware of anything. But out of loyalty and friendship to David, he, he says, I'll, I'll find out what the truth is and I will let you know. And we read the next part of the story in 1 Samuel 20. So Ruby, if you want to read a bit of that chapter for us now. Chapter 20, verses 12 to 17 and thirty to thirty-four. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness, when I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you, and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you, as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You, son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen to son of 
Jesse, to your own shame, and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul held a spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Saul is determined to kill David. So Jonathan tells David, and after an emotional goodbye, David flees. Then there is only one more account in the Bible of David and Jonathan meeting and that is recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 15 to 18, which Ruby's going to read to us now. Chapter 23, verses 15 to 18. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh, and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Jonathan sadly never makes it to be David's number two, as he dies in battle along with Saul. David weeps bitterly for his friend, and yet true to his word, he takes care of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. His son gets to sit at King David's table along with King David's sons. David is loyal to his friend Jonathan even after his death, just as Jonathan had been loyal to David even though his father wanted him dead. It's one of the most beautiful friendship stories in the Old Testament and there is much that we can learn from this friendship which we're going to consider now. So Jonathan, in chapter 18, has instant admiration for his friend David. Jonathan had been there when Goliath <laughs> had defied Israel's armies and their God, and it looked like everyone was too scared to go into battle against the giant, even though Jonathan himself was no weakling he was a man of faith. He was a warrior. On a previous occasion when the Philistines had raided Israel and the Ar Israel's army was scared to go out to, to fight them, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, it may be, not it's going to be, he didn't have com full confidence, but he said it may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And with this little faith of Jonathan's, he caused a great victory to occur and the enemy fled before them so much so that the whole Philistine army fled and then Saul and the Israelite army were able to chase them and win a great victory. Jonathan was a man of faith, but not enough faith to face the giant. Yet in David, pointed the wrong way, <laughs> yet in David he sees someone before, uh, who before the giant can boldly declare, I come against you in the name 
of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. What faith and confidence David had. And to another man of faith, like Jonathan, this was not only just something they had in common, it was a very winsome quality. Later on, when David himself is feeling a bit low, it tells us, and what Ruby read to us, that Jonathan came to David and strengthened his hand in God. He strengthened his faith. My friends, true friends encourage you in your walk of faith. And you should look to inspire others in their walk of faith. You see, ultimately, God is the most important person in the universe. And he should be the one that we live our lives for. Jesus certainly makes this clear to us that we're going to have to give an account to God for how we have lived our lives, whether we've lived it in a way that pleases him or not. And this is not just the things that we do, our deeds. It's our words and our thoughts as well. Therefore, if you truly value someone as a friend, you want the best for them. And the best for them is that they know Jesus. If they don't know him, it should be your top aim, your chief aim to introduce them to Jesus. If they do know Jesus, then it should be your aim to encourage them in their friendship with Christ. You're not being a good friend to them if they're doing things that you know are wrong and that offend God and maybe even break the law and you say nothing. And on the other side, if they're doing things that are good, you want to encourage them in that as Christ makes it clear that he will reward us for all the things that we do for him. He says we'll receive a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. Do you want the best for your friends? The best is with God. So spur all your friends on in God and make close friends with those who spur you on in God too. Secondly, see how Jonathan and David are faithful to one another. Despite it being Jonathan's dad who wants to kill David, they, they make oaths, they make vows to each other, which in the New Testament, Jesus uh, makes it clear that we, apart from in marriage and in the court of law, we don't, we don't need to make oaths and vows to each other. We just let our yes be yes and our no be no. And by that, he means as far as depends on you, you be someone who is true to your word. You are faithful to your words. And my friends, true friends are faithful to each other. Now linked to what I've just been saying to you, being faithful doesn't mean condoning wrongdoing. In the famous passage in 1 Corinthians 13, which is read at many weddings, it says this in verse 6, Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. In this account, Jonathan wasn't encouraging or allowing David to get away with wrongdoing. In fact, 
the opposite. It was Saul who was acting disgracefully and David was acting honourably. And Anna's going to pick up on that theme next week with you. My friends, how faithful are you? How true to your friends are you? How much effort do you take in honouring your words to your friends? God is going to hold you accountable for this. He wants you to be a good friend. No, it cost both David and Jonathan. Jonathan lost the trust of his dad. David, it cost him financially for many years to provide for Jonathan's son. Proverbs 18.24 tells us, There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The truest fulfillment of that proverb is found in Jesus Christ. But as his disciples, as the ones who have a heart, or want to have a heart after God, we should be like that too. Now let me just add here, I'm talking to you about you being a faithful friend. I'm not talking to you about how you can assess whether someone is being a faithful friend to you or not. You don't know what's going on in their life. It's not for you to judge anyway. It's between them and God. Are you a faithful friend? David and Jonathan were. Jesus is. I'm not talking to others. I'm talking to you. My last point that we take from David and Jonathan's friendship and that it, before I bring, look at what we can learn about our relationship with Jesus is this. True friendship sacrifices personal desires for the plan of God. See, the Bible doesn't tell us whether Jonathan knew about Samuel's prophetic word to his father that the kingship wouldn't pass on to, to Saul's sons, but it would end with Saul. It doesn't tell us whether he knew uh, about David being anointed as king. But his actions upon the first time that he met King David would, would, demonstra- would be certainly prophetic, even if Jonathan didn't realize it at that time. Later on, the second passage that Ruby read to us shows that Jonathan certainly knew uh, about it uh, when he said to David, when God cuts off all your enemies, remember me and be kind to my family too. And then in this last passage, it clearly states that Jonathan knew that David would be king. He knew it and accepted God's plan for David's life. Even though, from a personal worldly point of view, it was costing Jonathan the kingship. If only Saul had accepted this as his son already had, then the end of Saul's reign could have been glorious rather than tragic as it was. You know, Proverbs 19 verse 21 tells us, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You see, you cannot fight against God's plans and win. You 
will be the loser. But if you play your part in enabling God's plans, then you'll be richly rewarded by God himself. You see, we are finite beings with limited knowledge. God is an infinite being and he's all-knowing. He knows what's best for you and what's best in any situation. And he and y- your role is to trust him and to follow his plans for your life and his plans for your friend's life, even if it means calling them to move away for his purposes, even if it means him giving them which, something that you would like yourself. We're called to trust God in it and to be, be pleased for our friends and to seek him for what he has got for us to do. You see, David didn't become king until after Saul's death. There's a lesson there for us about timing as well. There's certain timings in God's plans of what he's got for you too. And we need to trust him in the interim period. So, my friends, true friends encourage you in your walk of faith with God. True friends are faithful to each other. And true friendships sacrifice personal desires for the plan of God. So finally, before I finish, let's look at what we can learn about our relationship, our friendship with Christ from this story. You see, Jesus is the greater king. He is the son promised to King David. Jesus himself points out that he is David's Lord, even though he is his son. David, if you like, was a a type of Christ. He pointed forward to, to Christ, the coming one, and that was part of his role. A little bit like at Christmas time, before, as children you know, believe that Father Christmas is coming to them. They see lots of Father Christmases around town. They know they're not the real Father Christmas, but they represent the one who they believe is coming later on the 25th of December. Very cute, this one, isn't he? Jonathan, in how he related to David, is an example to us. And he exemplified the teaching of John the Baptist, where John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. Remember, John said this at a time when his really successful ministry was beginning to be eclipsed by Christ's own ministry. Jonathan lived this principle long before he ever verbalized it. He modeled it through all the encounters that we read. And my friends, This is true for you too. You see, you enter into friendship with Christ by recognizing that he is the king and you surrender your life to him as Lord and Savior. However, this is not just like a one-off pledge that you do and then forget it. This is a daily thing where you sacrifice your desires. You give up your pursuits and you pursue what God has for you. You lay aside yourself and your desires in pursuit 
of the glorious riches, which is the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, as Colossians 1 tells us. Your life becomes way more significant than just you and your desires. It's about Christ's desires and his eternal plans. His desires and plans for you are better by far. Even if they actually make your life not easier, but harder, as Jesus promises us, that will happen. You see, Jonathan was faithful to David, and we are called to be faithful to Jesus above everyone else, even our family. Jesus makes it clear to us in Luke 14, verse 26, that actually he is to come above our father and mother, our husband and wife, our kids, even life itself. It's not that we, we don't love them. We do love those other people, and, and the Bible encourages us to, to love uh, our family. But our love for them must be secondary to our love for Jesus. And even when we fail and we are faithless and we get things wrong, which we all do on a daily basis, Jesus remains faithful and will forgive us our sins as we come to him and confess them to him because he's our saviour as well as our Lord. That is why he came. Just like David, he was persecuted by the leaders of his day, even though he was God's chosen king. They sought to kill Jesus, just like Saul sought to kill David. However, unlike David, God's plan for Jesus was that he would die on a cross, at their hands, but on our behalf. So that all the things that you and I, indeed the whole world, have done that is wrong, could be placed on Jesus. And he could take the punishment for them so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have our friendship with God restored, knowing that when Christ returns and restores all things, we would be included in his eternal kingdom where there is no more sin, there is no more suffering, there is no pandemic, there is no more death. But the only way to be included in that eternal kingdom that is coming is to make Jesus the king of your life now. It's too late to do it when you're dead. Yes, it does mean surrendering your rights and desires to Jesus. But as I've said, his plans for you are much better than you could ever plan for yourself. And whilst we come to him as humble servants, he says this to us, no longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. More than this, the Bible tells us that when we come to Jesus, we're actually made children of God. God himself becomes our heavenly father. And he's going to spend eternity blessing his children, pouring out blessing upon blessing. Hallelujah. That sounds fantastic. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that is a pretty good deal. By allowing yourself to decrease and Jesus increase in the goodness of 
God, you end up getting much more than you could ever, ever achieve by yourself. And it gets better as you daily live in faith for Jesus. The Bible tells us he will come and reward us for those things that we do for him. So my friends, in closing, Jesus truly is the best friend you can ever have. So during this period of lockdown and after, let's make sure we are investing in that friendship above everything else that we do. And let's be true friends to, and encourage everyone else to do the same, everyone that he brings along our path. Amen. Be blessed, my friends. If you're, if you're listening and you don't know Jesus and you're thinking, actually, I want to surrender to him as king today, then can I encourage you just to pray this prayer of surrender along uh, with me now, just in the quietness of your own home, before God. Just say this to him. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me of all the things that I have done that are wrong, that offend you. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to live the rest of my life for King Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well done for praying that. If you need to know any more information, then, uh, then uh, it should appear on the screen now where you can go to find more information about this. But be blessed, have a great week, and hopefully see you soon.